Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I'm going to start in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. The thing I want you to see here, which is interesting and important, is that Gideon was hiding in a winepress threshing wheat. When we read that sentence, we may not realize why that's important, but to thresh wheat, you're supposed to be out in the open on a field with a, an ox or a horse pulling something uh, through the wheat to, to thresh it as the wind blows the chaff away. It's a big space needed to thresh wheat. And it's supposed to be an exciting and enjoyable experience. Look, we've harvested all of our wheat and now we're threshing it to get the chaff out so that we've got food for our family for the next few months. But Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press or a wine vat. You say, what is that? It's an underground dugout cistern where you put the, the grapes in and you stamp them and you make wine out of them. It's an underground, hidden, enclosed, dark place. It's small, it's confined, there's no wind. And so what should be done out in the open in the sunshine as a joyful experience Gideon is doing in a hidden place underground. He's probably just hitting the wheat with a stick. And it says that he was doing that to hide from the Midianites because the Bible says that after the previous judge had finished, Deborah had finished, there was a time of peace, but then there was oppression by the Midianites. Seven years of oppression. I remember my seven years of oppression. I remember growing up in a family with alcoholism, with my parents struggling and fighting and having affairs, and there was just stuff going on. And I remember being a young boy oppressed and confused and wondering what on earth is life all about? What am I supposed to do? And I ended up at a boarding school and I went to a Christian group. There was a handful, maybe eight or ten young boys in a school of 600. There was a tiny handful that hid away in a little room on a Saturday night when all the others were watching movies and all the other boys in the school were doing fun things. We were seeking the Lord and the reason was because I was oppressed and I was confused. And that's what Gideon was like. He'd grown up for the last seven years under oppression. Let me read to you a little bit about what life was like. In chapter 6, verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, because the Midianites, because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which were in the mountains. They had made caves for themselves to hide because the Midianites were attacking them. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, that means whenever they'd planted their crops and expected to get food and, and income, the Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east. They brought along the other tribes with them to attack, and they would come up against them. 
Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Friends, it's a terrible thing to be greatly impoverished by the pressures and the problems of the world, but it can be your starting point for a new life. I was talking to a man this morning. He came into church. He said, God, I've been to the bottom of the barrel and God has turned my life around. And I relate to that. And many people here, I know you can relate to that. And if you're in the wine press, hidden, dark, confined, ashamed, embarrassed, impoverished. You feel like there's holes in your pockets because everything you sow just gets taken. I want to say to you there's hope because Gideon became a hero even though he was a broken man. Verse 12, the next verse says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I can just imagine Gideon saying, <clears throat> Excuse me, you've got the wrong person. I am not a mighty man of valor. I'm hiding and I'm scared and everything's been taken from me and my people are oppressed. We are the losers of the world. But God takes the broken things and he gets more glory when he uses them. Amen? This story is so real and important to me, the story of Gideon. You know, we grew up in a little country in Africa. It's an excluded country. It's, a forgotten, it's the last country on the alphabetical list of countries. And it's a landlocked country. There's no sea, there's no coast. And I found myself broken. I'd been in a previous church and things had gone wrong and I'd had to leave. My body had got sick and I'd failed at that job and my previous boss had said to me, you will never succeed in any ministry you do. And I was, I was like Gideon, I was broken. And out of obedience, we worshiped God, we started a church, and the Lord just blessed it and blessed it. And we had a visiting speaker the one day from another country. And you know how when you get a visiting speaker, usually he, he is very um, complimentary of the existing pastor. Have you seen that? When you go to a church and there's a visiting speaker and he talks about how great the church is and the leader's so great and this guy's awesome and wow, it's so wonderful, you guys are wonderful. This visiting speaker didn't say that at all. He was a prophetic guy and prophetic guys just say it as it is, whether it offends you or not. And he said, he stood up and he, he preached a little bit and then he said, and I've got a word for you about your pastor. And that was me and I'm listening. And he says, God said, I wanted to use this other guy and this other guy and this other guy and this other guy and this other guy, a bit like the jars in a pantry. And God wanted to use all the jars at the front and none of them were willing. So God put his hand right at the back and found the worst one and he used it. And I say, praise God. Gideon said, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? 
And he goes on and on. And then in verse 14, the Lord said to him, turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the angel said to him, your father worships Baal. You know, Baal was the foreign demonic idol that they all worshiped. They'd forsaken God, and that was the reason why they'd been oppressed and why all their crops were stolen and why they were hiding in holes in the ground was because they'd worshipped other gods. And that's why I say if you're in a hole in the ground today and you've got holes in your pockets, praise the Lord because it's an opportunity for God to turn your life around. You know, God in His mercy allows us to experience the consequences of our sin because if He didn't, if He just papered over all the bad things we did, we would never turn to Him and get healing and forgiveness, and we would spend eternity away from Him. And in His mercy, He lets us experience the consequences of some of our bad choices, because then we can turn back to Him. So the angel says to him, your dad is one of the worst idol worshippers. I can relate. My parents did not love Jesus. He says, go now, you, little Gideon, the one who's hiding, timid, afraid, alone, in the dark, trying to beat some wheat. You go, and you get that idol of Baal, and you break it down. You build an altar to the Lord where that idol was, and you sacrifice an animal to the Lord, Jehovah, and just see what will happen. And Gideon does it. But he does it at night because he's afraid. The other thing about the story of Gideon is the process is so beautiful. It starts with him being extremely weak, and it doesn't jump immediately to him being the mighty man of valor. Even though the angel calls him that from the start, it works itself out over a process. So the first step is Gideon going at night by himself with 10 of his workers, and they break down the idol of Baal and they sacrifice an animal to the Lord and they say we belong to God it's the first step of courage of stepping up and saying you know what I don't feel brave but I'm gonna act brave before I get there can I just say to you you might say God doesn't call me a mighty man of valor you might say, when I read the Bible, I, I don't see that. I see God calling other people great things. And I want to say to you, my dear friend, the message of the New Testament is that we are hidden in Christ and all the blessings of Christ come upon us. There are so many verses I could read you. Ephesians 1 verse 3, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. There are so many that say, you are hidden in Christ. You are covered in Christ. You remember when the angel went to Mary, when she was going to give birth to Jesus, he said, you are highly favored of the Lord. And she said, who am I? I'm just a, a young virgin woman. You are highly favored. You are chosen. You are blessed. You are special. And that same word that's translated highly favored there in Luke chapter 1 of Mary is used in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 when it says, By His grace 
He has made you highly favored in the beloved, in the church of God. You are highly favored, not because you're good, but because Jesus' blood has been applied to you. And I, I believe today is the day for many of us where we stand up in that dark wine vat and we say, you know what, I'm going to trust, I'm going to risk to believe what God says about me is true. Even though when I look in the mirror, I'm the smallest and weakest and I have nothing. I'm going to trust that what God says is true. And Gideon does it. He breaks down the idol. And there is an uproar. The people want to kill him. And his father defends him and says, if Baal is such a great God, Baal can kill him. Let Baal fight with him. And from that moment on, Gideon's name changed to Jerob Baal, which means he who fights with Baal. I love that. You know, there are t-shirts where they take the, a normal brand name and they change it to a Christian name. And they're clever. I like them. And one of them, there's a brand called Tommy Hilfiger. And I saw a man walking around with a t-shirt and it said, Tommy Hellfighter. <laughs> and I thought, that's it. It's a person standing up and saying, you know what? I am identifying myself as an enemy of the idols and those things that oppressed me and stole the food and the money out of my pockets. I'm, I'm an enemy of the devil. I'm not going to flirt with him. I'm not going to go as close as I can to the devil and see how much I can play with his world. No, no, I'm a hellfighter and I want the world to know it. And from that moment on, Gideon became known as Jeroboam, he who fights against Baal. And I want to be known as that person. And that's the first step in this process. It took Gideon quite a long time to get there, but I, I don't have time to go into all of that. I'm going to jump to the next section. There was a time when Gideon had to learn to, to hear God's voice, and he put out a fleece, and he said, God, when I wake up in the morning, there must be dew on the fleece, but not on the ground around it. God says, okay, I'll do that for you. And then he said, no, I'm still not sure. I'm going to put out the fleece again. I want there to be dew all around it, but no dew on the fleece, please. And God is very gentle, very patient, and he allows Gideon to learn to hear his voice, to learn to accept what God knew was true from the start. It took Gideon's mind and heart time to align his own mind with what God said was true. And it took him a while to learn to understand God's voice. But eventually he did. And I want to say to you, don't be impatient if it's taking you a while. What God says about you is true from now, but for it to work itself out in your life may take weeks or months or years. You know, when we started our little church in a landlocked country, God said to us, call it Lighthouse. This was in Zimbabwe. There's no coast in Zimbabwe. Lighthouse is a stupid name for a church. In Zimbabwe and then we had a prophecy a man came from Canada and he was in our service one day and he said God has said from 25 years ago we were in this town where you are God said I'm gonna plant a lighthouse here that will shine to the ends of the earth and he said this is it and we thought wow so God was working God had a plan and then through a, a miraculous 
set of circumstances. That church said, go and plant in another country. I'm working as an accountant in South Africa and I get a call on my mobile phone from a recruiter in Ireland saying, do you want a job in Jersey? I said, where's Jersey? (laughs) And within three months we were here and then I saw, oh look, there's coasts, there's lighthouse. God is planting us to be able to shine to the ends of the, okay, God is working. And slowly my brain started catching up with what God had known all along. Let me read on. And anyway, so the, the people rally around Gideon. He, he blows his trumpet. Because he's brave enough to stand up and say, I'm a hell fighter. I stand for God. I'm not ashamed to say it. I stand for God. The people rally around him. And there's 32,000 people who rally around Gideon. 32,000. And there's an element of pride there where he starts to think, whoa, maybe I am quite great. Maybe, maybe I am quite amazing. And in Judges 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. God says, I want to show you that it's me and not you. And this is part of the process of growing from a person hiding in a hole in the ground to being a valiant warrior for God is learning to let go of things. And so God does a a process where he whittles it down from 32,000 to what do you think? 30,000? 20,000? 300, my friends. And you know how many they were fighting against? Over 120,000 men. The army against them was like locusts. They were, they were empowered and mighty as, a, as an army. They, they were just amazing. And God says, first of all, tell all of those who are scared they can leave right now. Friends, I want to declare in the Lord. If you're scared, you can leave. <laughs> you know, not every church is the same. Not every task that God gives different people to do is the same. And I love all the different expressions of church around the world. But God has called us to do something that is quite extraordinary. And I understand if people say, you know what, I came to church and I was just looking for a nice little calm, little quiet thing that would never challenge me. I say, that's fine, but there's some lovely churches around us that will do that. But we're actually doing something. We're fighting against hell in this church. We're standing up for something. And so 20,000 left. And Gideon said, that's fine. There's no shame. You go. There's 10,000 left. God says, it's still too many. God says, I'm going to do a little test. Take them to the water. They're thirsty. Let's see how they drink. He says, if they kneel down and they look at their face in the water and they put their mouth in the water and they, they drink like that, I don't want them. But if they get down on their haunches and they're looking around and they're pulling the water to their mouths, they need the water of the Holy Spirit, but they are not so inward focused that they have to look at themselves all the time and look down. They're looking around at what God is doing around the world. Those are the people I want to use. 
and there were 300 men out of 10,000 who were looking around. You remember Jesus said, lift up your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest. What we're doing is people who love the water of the Holy Spirit, but we're always looking at the lost. And we're saying, how can we take ground for God? So there were 300. And he whittled it down. And I'm going to take you just to the end. Chapter 20 of Judges 7. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerera. This is the extraordinary strategy that God gave to Gideon. Did he say, take some swords and some shields and some spears? No. He said, get your three men. Divide them into three groups of a hundred each. So already that's counterintuitive. Let's, let's put them in different places. And you know what? There are times where we have to split the family of God to achieve God's purposes. If you read the New Testament, they moved from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus to Thessalonica to Athens. They were moving. They were loving one another, but they were moving around. They weren't all about, let's stay together and be a nice little family. No, we've got to move apart and do things for the Lord. He splits them up. He says, carry a trumpet in one hand, carry a lamp in the other hand, but cover the lamp with a jar, a clay jar. No swords, no weapons. And at the right time, smash the jar so the light starts to shine. Blow your trumpet and say, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now that is weird. Amen? That is just crazy talk. 300 little men. I mean, it's a speck compared to the 120,000. But you know, when you do things the way that God says you do them, Impossible things happen, and God gets the glory. Amen? And that's the thing. When they, when they blew their trumpets at the same time, when they smashed their jars at the same time, when they let their light shine at the same time, and when they said, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, they were saying, we are united. We're not 10,000 who are in all sorts of directions. We are united in one common strategy and purpose. And God can do anything through a tiny group of people who are united together. Amen? Now, I said last week and the week before that there's a New Testament equivalent. For every story in the Bible, there is a New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 35, 36 and onwards, talks about the judges, and it says how great they were. And then at the end, it says, but God had something better for us, so that only together with us could they be made perfect. There's a little man called Timothy. In Acts 16, verses 1 to 3, Paul finds Timothy, and he's got a Jewish Christian mother, and grandmother, but his father is a pagan, and his father put his foot down and said, Timothy will not be circumcised, he will not be a Jew, he will not be a Christian, 
And so Timothy grew up as a timid, fearful man in a broken home with disputing and fighting, and his father was not a, a God-fearing man. And Paul got him. And Paul trained him. Timothy was timid. In, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10, Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you, but make sure you don't scare him. He's a frightened little man. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Now would be a good time just to give you a brief outline of what Leading Lights does. We put all of our services on the internet, along with leaders from other churches around the world. We put it in one place on a website. It's going out on the TV. And we're encouraging people who are small and forgotten in little corners of the world. They're in dens and caves and wine vats. And we're saying to them, link with us. Together we can do great things for the Lord. God can use you. You are a mighty man of valor. And the idea is that little groups, little churches, you know, a church can be two or three people. Imagine Saudi Arabia. Imagine Egypt. Imagine India, imagine China, imagine anywhere in the planet because the internet is worldwide. Imagine somebody who finds out about the Lord and somebody says, we will link with you. We will pray for you. We will give you the tools and the teachings and the support and the advice. We are with you. Let's join together. Start a group in your home. They say, but I'm not qualified. I've never been to university. We say, we will help you. You can do it. And little groups spring up, little lights all around the world. And just as those jars get smashed and the light shines, there are people springing up all over the planet. We've got about 300 around the world who are starting something for the Lord. They smash the jar. The light starts to shine. They blow the trumpet. They say, we're linking up for the Lord. The word leading lights is a nautical term. When a ship comes into a harbor and there's rocks under the surface and he doesn't know how to navigate, the, the harbor master puts lights in the harbor and when the sailor lines up those lights in a straight line then he knows that he's sailing along a channel where there is nothing that will harm his boat and we're saying we are leading lights all of us around the world let's line up with Jesus and let's line up with each other and together we can do great things for the Lord and I want to say you guys are praying you're giving and you are the shining furnace of leading lights without this church it couldn't happen and we are doing great things for the Lord. We are mighty men of valor, even though we are broken vessels in ourselves. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.